So, welcome to a brand new episode of PHP Town Hall. Um, we're on episode 14 now, um, and we're joined, of course, with Ben Edmonds and uh, my good friend, Lee Tengham. Uh, how you doing, Lee? I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, it's good to talk to you again. I haven't, I haven't spoke to you in a while, actually. Yeah, well, it's kind of far. You're in New York. I'm up here in Canada. It's hard to communicate, you know, across those large distances. Well, Ben knows very well that I don't understand time zones at all. <laughs> <laughs> every every time we're trying to do this podcast, I'm like, right, I'm ready. I've got my I've got my camera and my microphone set up, and he's like, yeah, we don't start for another two hours. So, <laughs> yeah, I even uh, go so far as to translate all times to Eastern for Phil, and it still doesn't work somehow. Well, it's it's because I'm from I'm from where time exists, right? <laughs> I'm. <laughs> the birthplace of the language. I'm from the birthplace of time itself, and everybody else is just different levels of wrong, right? So I'm from uh, GMT or UTC, and then everybody else is like plus or minus a bit. So I'd always just have to work out plus or minus a bit. But the idea where I'm I'm currently in a wrong time, and then somebody else is in another wrong time, I just can't I can't deal with that. The conversion is <laughs> harder. How do you make it to work in the mornings? Uh, <laughs> well, luckily my cooker, uh, my oven has a time on top, and I can see that from my bed. I live in a one, I live in a studio apartment, so it's pretty simple. Nice. Yours doesn't blink twelve. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> your, your stove doesn't blink twelve. Mine blinks twelve. I need to set it. And uh, oh done, so. yeah, that's you should probably f- fix that. But I don't suppose that you use your oven as your main home time device, right? No, I'm actually really bad for time. I generally don't know what day of the week it is, let alone yeah. what time it is. And I've gone to many client meetings on a Sunday, wondered why the hell their office <laughs> is locked, and then send a bunch of text messages only to get a reply saying it's Sunday, we'll be there tomorrow at our scheduled time. So great. Sorry. Wow. Wow. So calendars for everybody. Did you guys know that the iPhone has a function, uh, two functions? One of them is uh, an alarm clock, and the other one is a calendar. I think they just added that with iOS seven. Yes, sure. you have to you have to use your nipple to unlock the uh, iPhone before that feature is available. See, Did I've been guess? doing that for months now, and so one day it just popped up, and I was like, "Oh, this has always been here." The nipple or the, the nipple? Yeah. Okay, right. Before we <laughs> offend every female listener that we have, uh, let's let's move away from Ben's nipples and talk about uh, why Lee's on the podcast this time. Um, Lee, uh, actually, we we got pretty close to what could have been a really good segue into the main point of the topic, and then we just started talking about Ben's tits. But um, so that's not the segue. Uh, we can make it the segue. I think. No, I just, no, I'm it, I'm happy that Ben's nipples are not segueing me into this segment. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, going back to where we were, like about like you often don't know what time it is or what day it is, and you kind of do a lot of working from home. Now, I know yes. a lot about your working style because I've come over there to, to um, Calgary and, and, well, sorry, ah, Cranbrook and, uh, and worked with you a couple of times. Um, and it's, uh, it's a pretty cool working setup, but you mostly work from home. Uh, you seem to have, like, the town kind of uh, covered for if someone needs a web guy and, and they know what they're talking about, they're probably going to come your way. Um, <laughs> and you also get some people that don't, but let's not name names. <laughs> uh, does that seem about right? You kind of you work from home and do a lot of stuff, and you spend a lot of time with your family, and it seems like a pretty cool working setup. Yeah, I'm actually building a a backyard office right now because I've been in the basement, as you remember from when you were here, which is like 
It got cold. Well, not just that, no sunlight. And right. you start having the days mixed together and there's no physical separation between work and your home life. Yeah. So many times I would be, I'd go and I'd put soup on the stove for the kids and then i go, well, hey, I got like five minutes till it's warm. I'm going to go answer some emails. And then an hour and a half later, the kids are coming downstairs saying the soup's on fire. <laughs> and when you start burning soup, then you know that there's a real problem. Yeah. And uh, so I've built this backyard office, which is pretty much a glorified shed minus the real person tools. And I, uh, it's it's kind of nice. It's warm and it's insulated and there's lots of sunlight. So I'm pretty stoked. Are you building this yourself? Oh, God, no. Thank fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the, the great thing about living where I do live is that all of my siblings and everyone I know, for the most part, are tradesmen. There isn't a lot of digital work here. So it's really easy to find people that you can trade beer and steak for labor. So Now, to I've clarify for our audience, since you are Canadian, every a? person you know is a lumberjack? <laughs> or Yes. Okay. And we're okay. Which is very different from where I live in Williamsburg, where everyone looks like a lumberjack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, over there, they look the same, but actually have skills and biceps, I imagine. So, yeah. Plus, everyone has a pickup truck. So, uh, most of your friends like drove pickup trucks. And I was always thinking, when, whenever these guys happen to need to carry something, they're going to be very well set. I like that they bought those vehicles just on the off chance that one day they might need to, might need to carry something. You, you would be yeah. happy to be here right now. Like when Phil was here the last time, everywhere we went, he was taking pictures of pickup trucks because here it's, <laughs> it's the size of your pickup truck that matters, apparently. Yeah. So everybody drives like big lifted F-350 diesels, like he says, for the off chance they may need them. But right now they're full of dead animals because it's hunting season. Uh. So the, the, the trick now is to load these animals in your truck and then drive around to everyone's houses that you know to show off the size of the animal you shot, <laughs> yeah. which is... Sort of hilarious in itself. It's like, it's been dead for two days. Stop driving around. Please put that on ice. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty similar. I'm from Alabama originally. And it's, uh, me and Lee have had several conversations. He lives in pretty much the Canadian version of Alabama. Wow. Well, I got to go. I haven't been that insult in a long time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the Canadian version of Alabama. Our cities There's are like, very similar. You were, you've never been here. We actually had this discussion the other day because Ben was two hours from me and oh, didn't wow. let me know. And I would have totally driven down and met him for lunch. And he said he was sorry and I said I wouldn't bring it up again, but I got to bring it up. I'm still sad, Ben. Where were you, Ben? I was in uh, Glacier Park, which apparently is two hours away. In ah. Montana. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's just around the corner. Because I mean, yeah. every, everything of, um, anything where anyone lives in Canada is about a fucking stone's throw from the border because everything else is cold and full of bears. Uh, <laughs> so Montana is right next to where, where Lee lives. Well, and like Glacier National Park borders with Canada and Idaho. And on the Canada side of this, the province of Alberta borders against British Columbia and Montana. And that side of Canada, we've made that... I can't remember the name of the provincial park, but it's a provincial park on the Alberta side. And on the BC side, there's a whole bunch of people that are really trying hard to get it designated as a provincial park. But then there's the rest of everybody else that just wants to mine the crap out of it. So we're like the quarter of the pie that just wants to extract all the coal and don't care about the bears. So that's where we live. And I'm like right in the middle of Glacier National Park, in essence, on the Canadian side. Nice. Didn't know that. 
Well, fuck the bears, because last time I was there, they chased me, and it was scary, so I don't care. <laughs> uh, anyway, we, we, we wandered off uh, topic um, a little bit. I blame Ben and his nipples again. Um, They're just yeah, so distracting. So, <laughs> they are. Uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? What sort of projects do you mostly work on, Lee? And, and have you got anything uh, recent you want to shout about? Sure. Um, I oh, I'm going to offend a lot of people with this, but I hate client work, and I have some really good clients, but I really don't like being at the beck and call of people. I try really hard to sustain a lifestyle in which if I feel like just getting up and leaving and going and doing something for the day, I totally can. And as a result, I generally don't know what day of the week it is because I don't have a schedule that I stick to. But then that also means that I have to juggle client work and then I also have to juggle building things for myself. And I realized a long time ago that I'm, I don't want to perpetually chase client work, so I need to build mortgage payments. And that's sort of what I do is I find little niches and websites that I think I can build out that will earn me a few dollars here and there and will become a mortgage payment rather than chasing the unicorn of venture capital that I'll never ever end up seeing. Right, and this is something that I really want to talk to you about. I mean, um, uh, since I've known you, actually the, the reason I ended up uh, talking to you in the first place is because you've built a lot of really cool things. Um, and we've known each other through Cody Motor Community for a bunch of years, and I can't really remember what the very first products were that you made at the time. Um, but there was Clever Andy, which was a pretty cool idea that you came up with of of uh, taking taking the um, like when you build designs for a client and you build like two or three concepts and they only use one, you'd accept the other concepts to be uploaded and uh, then you kind of finish them off and then sell them and turn them into templates for popular CMSs. And then I saw that and thought, that's awesome. I've just got my Christmas bonus. I'm going to buy that website and then didn't touch it for like a year and it died. But you no, it, it didn't die. It didn't die until <laughs> you killed it. <laughs> I ruined make it. that perfectly clear. Yeah, I took my, you spent my entire bonus on that and it died. Um, but you've worked on loads of other really cool things. And there's also been a lot of really funny other little websites you've smashed out. Like, um, I think Dear IE6 was another one. That's probably yeah, my um, favorite of all. That, that might well be one of the best you're known for. Tell people what, what, what that one's about. Uh, that one came about from drinking. And it was something that was built in a hurry that allowed people to at reply Dear IE6 and they could tell people via Twitter how they really felt about Internet Explorer 6 and where it could go. And this site aggregated all of those, put them together, and then displayed them for other people to see. None, none of it was nice. Uh, <laughs> well, there, it, it wasn't a very positive message being displayed. Yeah, so all these people made these at replies and it actually spawned a few other businesses off of it. People were going and collecting all of these really nice things said about Internet Explorer 6 and then making t-shirts. And one person started a company where you could find one of those at replies and have it printed as a shirt and drop ship to you overnight. And uh, oh. last I remember checking in with him, he'd sold 40 or so of those shirts, which isn't a huge deal, but he was already an existing t-shirt manufacturer. So it you know, made him a couple extra bucks. Makes sense. But then yeah. I built Twessage, which was the the system behind Dear IE6, and I built it so that it was easy to theme and install, and then people could buy it and make their own at reply aggregator. 
And that sort of became the down payment for our house. It didn't make a huge amount of money, but it still made enough that we could stop renting and move into our own property, which was cool. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the point, right? Like, um, with a lot of people that get involved in uh, with with web development and uh, kind of making these ideas, everyone has this idea for something, and they think, oh, I've, I've just got an idea. It's an internet idea. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm going to build it because I know how code works, and I'm going to just going to go and get a million dollars in VC venture capital funding, and I'm going to hire like a whole team of people, and I'm going to get that guy that used to work for Foursquare, and we're going to make millions, and then they work on it for ages, and then it doesn't really work out, and it kind of sucks. Whereas what you can do instead is kind of take a take a, a very small, very specific idea and make a bit of money out of it, and then yeah, maybe get a mortgage for your house, or maybe you know get like a nice holiday for your family or whatever, like just a really small, specific idea and make some cash. And you've made quite a few of these. Um, I can't remember if there's any other examples of of the smaller ones that you've done um, before we talk about some of the larger things. Because Twisted um, Twisted was pretty cool. I made the. I guess there's a few of them, but there is a job board website that I built. Oh, yeah. EKJobs.ca or something? Yeah. Um, it's down now because I sold it, but um, mm-hmm. it, uh, it allowed people to post job postings. It was a really nice, well-put-together site, and it started off as one of my most interesting pricing um, scenarios. I built it, and I started off asking people for, I think it was $10 a job post. And this was at a time when everybody was paying the newspaper 300 and some odd dollars to run for two weeks in a paper that nobody read. <laughs> and I didn't really have very much success at it. So then I took it and made them free. So you could post free job postings. But then I started competing with like Craigslist at the time, those before Kijiji. And when you enter into the free market, you end up in an entirely different space where now you really have to compete on volume and it's not just value that you're competing on. So out of frustration, I one day got mad and posted $129 for um, a job posting. And that day I had three signups. And it was all of a sudden there was this perceived value to the clients that they felt that you know, posting on here was worth the $129, whereas it wasn't worth the post for free. And it did really well. It would bring in 10 to 15 job postings a month for quite some time until I sold it. Wow. I mean, it's quite a crazy jump just to go from like $10 having a couple here and there and then freeze like nothing and then 130 bucks, and you get loads. So uh, That's odd. Why do you think that is, apart from the perceived value aspect? Do you think it was because you had a slightly nicer design than than Craigslist or because Craigslist still looks pretty terrible last time I checked and it's looked terrible for as long as I've known yeah it's it's definitely the the perceived value though like that's the that's what it really comes down to in pricing is that at free the value wasn't there because Craigslist had the reach but then at 129 it was close to the value they got from the newspaper and the price that they got from the newspaper but they could then relate to it and it seemed worth their time so I think at ten dollars it wasn't worth for these companies to go and get a PO from their purchasing department and then the company credit card to go post it but at 129 well then clearly there must be value here nothing changed with the model nothing changed with the amount of traffic it was getting and then we ran that really really bad newspaper ad that uh, we took advantage of our local newspapers really poor print processing system and ran an, an ad that we knew would misprint 
towards the end of their print run to say something entirely different but attract a whole lot of traffic. And I'll uh, I'll blog about that. It's probably not the best place on here, but uh... <laughs> okay. That I mean, sounds that sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I want to ask you some questions, but I don't want to get anyone in trouble, so we'll just skip. <laughs> we'll just skip that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but the perceived value thing is actually pretty interesting. I know from my days in the corporate world, it was kind of a huge process to get a PO and to you had to defend your decision. And if you were trying to defend spending $10, it almost looked bad on you in a way because to an enterprise, you know, $10 might as well be free. And so bumping that up 10 times in your case gave it a lot more perceived value and probably made it a lot easier for people to even argue that it was something worth spending the money on, as crazy as that sounds. No, I mean, I get it. I worked for a financial services company as well, and I've brought this up probably a couple of times, but when I worked for them and they went with a uh, million-dollar content management system, which could easily have been achieved with a copy of Expression Engine and my $40 REST Expression Engine plugin, which I probably would have given them to given to them for free. You know, it's 200 bucks versus a million, and they will happily just throw money... Uh, at the million dollar solution because it must be you know that many times better even though it's really not <laughs> it's the crazy the crazy world of uh, perceived value in corporate corporate worlds but um, yeah. my guess is this is a large part of the reason why a lot of us uh, either currently are or have been recently working for ourselves because um, yeah. we all kind of jump between I think that's the interesting thing about um, the three of us and, and a couple of the people that we're friends with because we all we're all friends with similar sort of people that have all worked at the same, all worked in most of those different environments, you know? They like tried out the, the big level corporate, tried out just running our own startup, tried out working for small web studios, and now we're kind of all coming to where we feel like we're more comfortable. I had a, a pretty good shift in my mindset a couple years ago when I realized that I had many requests coming in every day for people asking for me to put my services towards things. And I realized that people are willing to pay me exuberant amounts of money so that I can code something for them. Why don't I take that talent and skill set and apply it to myself? These people have the money to see ideas through that they want to put out. Why don't I do the same by leveraging what I know? I did not just notice a message from Ben that said, need cider BRB. Now, the fact that he's drinking cider makes me very upset because I'm here with Tecate, which is like some Hispanic <laughs> knockoff Budweiser, and it's not the best scenario in the world. I want, sorry, I want cider. I know. Why do you have cider? Is that because... My wife likes cider. Okay, Phil, uh, let's, okay. let's clarify this right now. He's not drinking <laughs> cider. You're not drinking cider, you, yeah. You have Lee not has heard my rant a hundred times. <laughs> you have not had the privilege of being in a government-run liquor store and having Phil in his thick English accent <laughs> basically lecturing the woman behind the till on why they don't have proper cider and how this is close and it's an acceptable substitute, <laughs> but it is not proper cider. Hey, she started it. <laughs> yeah, I'm upset. Cider, proper cider is not a woman's drink. It can be a very manly drink. I know a lot of skinheads and crazy, like, big, scary motherfuckers that used to drink it. But also some women like the sugary form. So that's, that's different. <laughs> uh, the other fun English accent story that I have with Phil when he was oh, here is that? we have this community near us called Fort Steele. And it's the town that used to be 
what Cranbrook was back in like the Explorer days before the city of Cranbrook was founded. And all of the staff there walk around in period clothing and they have all these really bad fake English accents. And we're walking down the boardwalk and this one girl was giving a tour and <laughs> I forget what she said exactly, but it was something along the lines Hello, of I'm going to show you how we wash <laughs> our clothes. Yeah, it was something like that. And Phil put on this super thick accent and just kind of said, oh, maybe I should give tours or something like that with his like very pronounced English accent. And it was just my wife and I killed ourselves laughing. It was good times. I don't think she actually understood what I said back when I was speaking actual English. That was the most hilarious part. Well, none of us did, but it sounded right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you suck. <laughs> um, why don't you tell us about Pancake, uh, the PHP application built with a whole bunch of code nighter that me, uh, yeah, you started up. Uh, I helped you out with for a bit, and Ben also helped you out with for a while. And, who, uh, who hasn't touched that thing? Everyone, Zach, Dan Herbigan, um, <laughs> just everyone has, has had a little go at that at some point, I think. Did Horbigan. <laughs> uh, Michael Wales, Ben's new uh, colleague, you know. Yep. Old, old colleague, actually. Old colleague, I fucked up, I fucked up. Derek Allard. Oh, oh shit. Oh, Derek. Yeah. Has anyone heard from Derek in, like, years? Yeah, he's still on Facebook. You gotta fax him these days. Uh, <laughs> he's, okay. uh, he's out in the country, he bought a, his little estate with a pond and... <sighs> Yeah, he moved to an amazing house with a pond lake. I don't, I don't begrudge him a moment for not being all over the internet anymore because it looks amazing. So I'd just be out there every day painting and fishing or something, and I don't even like either of those two things. Yep. Pancake started solely to solve a, a need. We had a client who was constantly checks in the mail. It had been like a year or two that they hadn't paid, and... It finally got down to the point where they're always saying, you know, if you could take credit card, we'd pay you. And in Canada, to get like a merchant terminal to be able to accept credit cards, you have to have like a ten thousand. This was back at the time, so like two thousand eight. You had to have like a ten thousand dollar balance or security deposit or something like that, and a lot of hoops to jump through. And it was a pain. So we told them, well, you know, you can go to PayPal and send money via PayPal, and you can use your credit card. And he replied back with, well, I've been trying for the last half hour. I can't figure out what i got to do to send money. And it's asking for invoice and all of our business names and everything like that. And it's too much of a pain. I don't have time for this. So I put together a really simple PHP script that built a pre-populated X cart. So all he had to do was just go and enter in his credit card details. And I knew he knew how to do that, which was awesome. So I sent him this link. We could see when he looked at it, and then he paid, and everything was merry. And I showed that to a couple designer and developer friends that I knew, and everybody was like, oh, can I have this? And I was giving it away, and then people started requesting features, so I was building features in for beer. And then it got to a point where I realized that I could sell this on its own little standalone. For what it did was you could do invoicing. It didn't keep track of your clients. It didn't do anything like that. And I sold a few hundred copies of it in the first month, and it slowly piled on from there into what it is now. Yeah, I mean, the, the first version was, um, uh, the first version, I think, was uh, just native PHP, wasn't it? And it was just kind of, just some smashed together code that worked, worked really yep. well. Um, and I kind of helped you roughly finish up the version one thing. And it was, it was very basic, but it, it was a really good, really simple piece of code. You could run it on your web server, you could 
uh, create an invoice, uh, list clients, see how much you'd earn from certain people. And did it at that point? It even had downloadable files, didn't it? So that, like, that was, was that? after. That was further on. Like okay, when was, well, that was more towards version two. Yeah. Um, but that was the that was one of the biggest changes for you as well because it started off as just I need to tell this person they need to give me money. So it was kind of a um, a crud system attached to a, PF, a PDF generator uh, that would email someone and say, "Pay this invoice. Here's a PDF." Um, but I think the biggest step up for it was when you. Uh, Dan Horrigan helped you switch it over to CodeIgniter, um, became a lot more of a stable code base for sure, and um, and people uh, and yeah, you had the the download zip file functionality. So then the selling point became instead of just using this to make a PDF for your clients, you can actually kind of hold the downloadable content hostage behind a paywall. So yeah. as soon as you pay, pay us this money, you get your contents. So they the clients will always be like, oh no, but we. I know, I know that billing. I know that we have to pay you, and we'll get around to that soon. But you know, we really need this thing tomorrow. So you have to give us the files tomorrow. And you're like, I will totally give you the files tomorrow, but you have to pay. That's the only way the system works. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, you is can still hide like it. one of the best features of Pancake, in my opinion. It's it's mm. so original and just super helpful. Exactly. Yeah, because it's not. You don't even have to be like bad guy because. You have the ability to say, like, well, no, the wonderful thing is, like, I, I have a family and I'm often away or whatever, or, like, I'm, you know, I'm very busy at times, and, and I want to make sure that you get those files as soon as you possibly can. So as soon as you pay, those files are just emailed to you. They're just, you just get that link and you can download them straight away. So even if I'm not available, you get them, and you get to look like good guy, uh, and, it's, and it's a feature. But at the same time, you're basically saying, pay me or fuck off. You don't get that work. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's a very good idea. And, uh, and since then, um, I was about to say, you, you kind of started throwing in the kitchen sink, but there's literally a feature called kitchen, isn't there? Yeah, so that's the client access area. It was codenamed the kitchen, just because we didn't have a name for it, and it yeah. kind of stuck, and it kind of hasn't. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> I, I don't overthink those things too much, but that allows like your client to log in and view what's up and where the projects are at and view all their invoices. Cause the most annoying thing is when, and I'm, I know I'm guilty of this. I email people all the time, but I'll forget to keep track of all the invoices that I paid. And then I'll email and I'll be like, yo, can you, uh, can you send me a link to all the invoices from January, 2010 through December, 2010? Right. The tax man just called and I've accidentally wiped my hard drive and I don't know anything about my last year. Exactly. <laughs> so, this allows them to log in and view their own their invoices and pay their outstanding invoices and mm. generally be the good client rather than being the pain in the ass client, which is sort of awesome. But to get back to the throwing in all the features, we've done away with that now, right? So with version 4, we have the store that allows for third-party developers to build their own themes and modules and then sell them directly to Pancake customers through their Pancake installations. So nice. they actually browse to a store which is in their settings tab and they can browse through all the plugins and themes, click buy, and then have it automatically install and configure them. So we remove the barrier to entry for a lot of theme and plugin development, which is the getting people who aren't necessarily super savvy with FTP and all those various tools to be able to purchase and successfully install their their add-ons. 
Right. Yeah, this is a feature too that I think is I use Pancake personally for any freelance billing I do, and this feature is really going to change things. I think because there's so many little things that doesn't make sense for Lee to add, but could be useful for myself and so many other people. And then right. the developer that creates it is just you know cash money. <laughs> it's like a win-win situation, but it's that's the biggest problem and it kind of gets back to the whole shipping thing is that you can't build every feature and even if you can it's not the wisest thing to do and I, I'm guilty of it myself I'm always adding in features and whatnot but I'll be the first one to ship something when it's not ready and it just means a couple emails from angry people and a chance to correct it but you can spend weeks making something perfect and it's not any better off. You're just a week away from, or you're a week further down without sales. This is yeah. something Lee's really good at that I'm horrible at because I want to make it perfect and I want to make the back end code beautiful, all this kind of shit that nobody cares about or sees except me. Or it's just been many times where I've been working with Lee and he's like, don't spend a night on this. Just hack it up in 30 minutes, then we'll move on and we'll come back to it later. And it's. <laughs> It's hard, well, it's, but it's helpful. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's the do. opposite. Like, if we had uh, Chris Hutchison, they'd be screaming blue murder at us all. And it, it's, again, like, do you, do you test the living daylights out of it? Do you make sure everything was perfectly fine? And do you spend, like, three months QAing everything and make sure it's perfect? Or do you ship, like, this new feature in 302, and then if it's broken, then, like, in two days you ship 303? And because it's only broken for a couple people, like... Well, there were a couple of instances where um, I was I was working with Lee when I was hanging out at his place for a while, and we'd spend ages working on this new feature, and we'd be really proud of it, and we'd ship like 3.1, and it would work, and, and loads of stuff would be awesome. These people have new features. We'd see on Twitter like all these people raving about this awesome new stuff, and because of the auto updater, it would install on their servers like without them even knowing about it, or with one click, uh, and they would be really happy. And then like out of the 50 people that are really happy. Maybe like two or three are like, oh, no, this thing didn't work very well. I've got this problem. And then we release another minor update, and they're like, yay, they fixed it. You know, it, it's that, that difference between I have to make sure it works for every single person ever, like everything is f completely fine, or like do you just keep on sending out as much awesome as you can and then try and fix any negativity with m more awesome in the future? I can tell you how many times somebody has actually ridiculed the code and they also happen to be the same number of people that I sort of run with in my group and the only people who really say anything about oh man why did you do it like this or this isn't PSR compatible Phil or you know <laughs> that wasn't anybody. me <laughs> the only time I ever get ridiculed about the code that I write is from Phil or Dan and Zach and it really doesn't make a difference as to whether I can sell a sellable, maintainable product or not. And that's sort of the, the hang-up point that people really get caught on is that they're too worried about how other people are going to look at their code and what they're going to think of it. And it really doesn't matter. It's, it's kind of like when you read those like dating tips and things and they're like well don't get too hung up on you know your shirt or your pants or whatnot just make sure it's somewhat presentable nobody's gonna care it's the same thing it's you just got to get past that it's true i think it's probably more of an option uh, more of a um more of a barrier in the open source world 
where like in an open source world a project is genuinely judged by the lines of code and if you have like an open um, github project and someone can like I saw it with Symfony the other day this guy that's making the um, fixy framework for like it started off terrible and then I told him to recode it and then it's still terrible and then like it's just being terrible all the time he started linking to uh, random lines of code on Symfony on Reddit like trying to make Symfony look bad so his framework would look better, which is a really weird thing. And he linked to like one instance where they directly accessed a property. Um, they had a property that was public instead of hiding it behind the getter and setter. He linked to one reference in the entire Symfony library, and he was trying to be like, ha, 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 ha. oh, Symfony aren't using getters and setters. They don't know anything about OOP, while his entire code base is static bullshit, right? So it's... <laughs> With with open source, like you, you do get judged harder based on your actual code because people get to look at your code to judge whether they want to use it or not. Whereas when it's closed source, even if when you download it, it's it's not encrypted. Like even if you can look through the code, you're kind of being judged more on its merits and its uh, how well it works um, and and kind of the features it has. And you're less judged on like, oh, they they're not using the latest PSRO standard compatible thing, you know. But then you got to kind of look at it. Do you want to spend all that time making all of that right? Like we get what, if we're lucky, eighty trips around the sun, and yeah. you kind of have to find that balance between, well, this guy's gonna link to my code on Reddit, or do I just reply to that with, in your case, Phil, the link to your map, your rides. In which, you know, you have a life outside of the code you write. <laughs> right. And that's, it, that's exactly it. It, it. it can really, it's a fine line. You can either come across really arrogant or you can sort of find that balance of life and code. And if it works, it works. And if it, if it accomplishes the end task, and yeah, maybe you use the wrong tabs or you use five spaces instead of four or whatever, right? Like... <laughs> You just you have to decide where the value lies, and in my case, the value lies in building something with the minimum amount of time necessary to get it to the point where it's profitable. I, in January of this year, I met with Dan Martell, and here's another Canadian bit, but at a Tim Hortons in Creston, BC, he was on his way to go skiing, cat skiing, and uh, I met with him, and we were talking about the sheer number of people that he talks to about their products. And they want to build, you know, they want to build this and they want to get this level of funding, which will take them to this where they're going to get another series B round or whatever, right? And they're, they're going down that path. But nowhere in there is the talk of when they're actually going to be profitable. And it kind of stuck with me that, you know, we can all chase this dream of getting a whole bunch of funding or we can just build something that's somewhat profitable so that we can go spend time with our families and go do the things that really matter without being tied to our computer chasing this pipe dream of money. Yeah. Sorry, that car was really loud. <laughs> There's uh like the recent bootstrapped or bootstrapper, I don't know, .fm podcast by Ian Lansman and Andre Butov. And then there's, you know, like business and software forums and it's all like bootstrappers pretty much just talking about their craft. And uh it's pretty much what we're doing here with you. But one thing that's you know, stark difference is you have, you know, people working 80-hour weeks, 90-hour weeks for this dream of this, you know, what, $100 million exit. 
but by the time you get to that exit, how much money do you then really have left versus the time you put in? And in the end, wouldn't it be better just to make, you know, $300,000 a year off something sustainable and still have a decent life outside of work? Um, something fairly relevant to throw into that is that when I was up in Newcastle hanging out with a lot of the um, Ignite 100 crew, kind of this tech um, incubator up there, is that there were multiple people that were there fairly successful in their scene after selling their first company and currently working on their second, which now had a fair bit of money in it itself. Um, and the first thing they ever tell you, well, the first thing that all of these things, the major, the major point that all of these people wanted to explain to me was that when you're making your first startup and you sell it, you pretty much always just get fucked. Like you don't know quite the correct terms to look out for and you don't know like, when, when you take on extra investment, whether you're getting diluted or not, and there's all these various different things. Um, and you, there's, there's a lot of terms that I genuinely can't remember now that it's uh, nearly 11 o'clock at night and I'm six to Kante's in. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things that, that happen when you're running your first company that you think like, yes, we're going to sell this thing. And even if you do sell it, you don't make that much money. Um, and the way my, one of my friends described it was uh, the first time you sell a company is your fucked money. And then the second time you sell a company is you make fuck you money because the second time you know what you're doing well enough that you get to kind of really lay down the terms and just like absolutely kind of hold those investors uh, to ransom and kind of and, and make and make the, the better choices. And it's, it's, that's not just like those guys sucked. Those guys did a really good job and they still got genuinely swindled by it by a lot of the investors. And it's, it's something that happens over and over again um, unless you're like or even the people that made like Instagram, that's not their first startup. You know, they've made other little startups here and there and they, they know a lot more about what they're doing. So if you are going to get involved in the startup scene, you have to have someone who's incredibly business minded to be handling all your shit. And that's why at Capture, I'm very happy to have someone that used to be like, a, you know, a, a shark on Wall Street. Like he knows exactly what he's doing, uh, handling all the money side of stuff. Because if you can't handle that, then you're probably not going to do very well at startups, even if you are a coder with a really good idea. So probably bootstrapping is a good way to go. And and you might not be, you know, Zuckerberg, but you'll make a decent bit of cash, which Lee has definitely done with Pancake over the years. Well, it's that whole, do I want to be four years down the road and have 5,000 users and four conversations with VC or angel investors and no deal or do I want to be four years down the road with 4,000 customers and you know a few tens of thousands of dollars in my pocket the amount of people who chase the whole venture capital scene means that you're entering into a diluted market whereas you could have probably charged a reasonable amount for your product right from the get-go and at least had money along the way it's easier to work for money <laughs> yeah I like money too that's that's the one thing that gets me a lot about a lot of startups. And I, obviously, I work for a startup company, and um, when I when I use the term startup wankers, I I never mean to describe everyone that works in a startup. I mean startup wankers. Like you've seen the the hardly working startup bros. You know them guys. Yep. Yeah. It's like oh, I've got bad news. The company we started seven minutes ago has gone beeswax. Um, like I know a lot of people that kind of are like that. And they don't really understand that their company has to make money. And they refer to it as a startup and not a company. But it's a fucking company by definition. Like, And, and the whole point is that you have to make money. So the 
the, the whole idea that you can just have some some idea and then convince someone to give you a whole bunch of cash and then just just you know write code for a while and then maybe think about revenue in a in a couple of years and maybe maybe the, your idea to make revenue is to sell your user data how are you ever going to get those users if you don't have a good enough idea that's actually going to get users using it that won't make you any money like the whole idea that people enter enter startups with is a little bit bullshitty because they just assume they'll make something cool and then people will use it because it's cool and then they'll sell the user data and then their investors will be like yay we made a good choice that's not really how life works and i don't think i don't think you've ever made a website that's or a service that's been like that that you've just assume assumed would just work and therefore you'd make money from um you've just made things that have been genuinely useful and they have made some money you haven't just expected expected fame from it there's a there's a person that I've been following for quite some years. He was actually quite active in the Codeigniter community back when Codeigniter was a stickman. And uh, his, you must know him, Young Fook, John Cockle. He's a no. British bloke living in Singapore. He's half British, half Singapore, Singaporeese or whatever it is. I'm sorry if I offended uh, him. He, he, he moved away. That's why I didn't know him. If he still lived in the UK, we'd be friends. He's a... Uh, he built um, Open Source Food, which was a website back in the day where people could share recipes. And it was listed as one of the top 50 websites for like 2008 by Time magazine. And he sold it. And since then, he's had a whole bunch of like small sort of startup ideas. He had a peashoot.to, which was a way to track your reach on Twitter when you tweeted things it would show who clicked it when clicked it or when they clicked it um, how long they viewed the subsequent page view for and whatnot and he's had all these different websites and services that he just keeps putting out there and one of the byproducts that has come of it is that he has a really awesome position at a very large agency now that he it has sort of gotten there because he's put out all of these products and he's shown not just that, you know, he's got a computer science degree or whatnot, but that he actually has the, the chops and merit to ship a product and see it through. And I think that's something that gets lost on a lot of people is that your startup or your idea that goes out holds a whole bunch more merit to somebody looking to hire you when you say that, you know, I, I built this and it's got 2,000 users that's great. But when you say I built this, it's got 2,000 users and $90,000 in revenue this year. Well, now it's an entirely different thing. And you may be at that position with your 2,000 users to be at $90,000 a year in revenue, but you're chasing the dream of getting 10,000 users and then taking it to Angel's List or whatnot and getting millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. That makes total sense, Lee. Um, so your real philosophy here is to build like a quite a few small apps that make decent money and maybe sell those one day once they get enough traction but you're not really shooting for you know 400 million dollars or anything like that well i'm still shooting for that but i just realize that it may take 50 or 60 or 100 little sites to get me there but i i tell people that i build mortgage payments and if I can build a website that pays one of my mortgage payments every month, so a few hundred dollars, then that's one more thing that I can do so that I can spend more time with my wife and kids. I know that I don't want to be 
in my 60s and retiring then because that'll be the part where I'm like all extra floppy and <laughs> my back will be gone and balder than I am now. I'd rather enjoy the time with kids that I have and have the freedom to work when I choose. And that means that I have to build little small products rather than working for clients. Yeah, I've heard you say before building a mortgage payment, and I think that's a really interesting perspective to look at it from, in that even if you spend several weeks on something, it doesn't have to make you know thousands upon thousands of dollars every month. It just makes you know a thousand or two. That's a mortgage payment, and that's a pretty big increase over a year's worth of salary. So it really is. And it's that much more stress relief but it's also something that when you start building them and you start getting money rolling and it gets much easier to build subsequent products you learn a lot you learn so much when you actually charge people for your product when you give your product away for free it's really easy to you know stand on your heels and say yeah whatever I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that or not really listen because it, there's no incentive for you to actually listen and pay attention but when you start charging for it, well, now these people are opening their wallet and giving you their hard-earned money. It's a good time to listen. Uh, okay. Just, just so we're not, um, just, just we give both sides of the coin. Um, we've we talked a lot about the merits about kind of bootstrapping some small, cool ideas that you have. What are what are some of the the harder points you learn from it? Um, the first few times, it's like somebody's kicking you in the balls, and you take it personally. And then the further along you go, you realize that you can't please everyone and that there are going to be people who are upset with you. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I'm not losing sleep over it. I, I'll give you your money back if Pancake doesn't work for you. It's, I don't, I'm not worried about whether I'm going to be able to get through to next month's mortgage payment. I'd rather you use my software and love it then have my software and feel like you wasted your money on it. So, uh, all right, so we've heard about your existing projects a good bit. Do you have any new projects you want to bring up, kind of pimp out for us here? Shamelessly whore? Yes, um, exactly. I've got two. Um, offload was kind of just one of those. I that is offload.io, for those of you that yes. don't know. Um, it was like a really quick website that, like years ago, Phil, do you remember the contractor site from way back in the day that I had, where you could log in and view my client projects that I had and bid on them? No. Yeah, I don't know if I ever let you in. Um, I Michael Wales and I built it way, way, way back when he was still in the Air Force, and it allowed people to log in and see the extra work that I had and then bid on that extra work, and then I could award it to people. And I kind of just rebuilt that, but made it so that anybody could post work and have other people bid on it and sort of be hands-off. And Offload was literally like a started on Thursday and shipped on Sunday project. So That's, that's pretty awesome. I, I've just been looking at the logo again. I looked at this website a while ago, signed up, and invited a bunch of my... Ah, that sounded terrible, whatever that was. Um, I signed up a while ago and invited a bunch of my friends and uh, and stuff, and it's it's really awesome the idea of it. Um, but I've just been looking at your logo, and it's a large shipping container. Um, it's like a large, uh, you know, shipping container ship, whatever they're called, freight 
freight ship. And um, it's got one container just falling off the edge. And it looks like someone's just like pushing it off and being like, fuck that container. What you should probably have is like someone like lowering it down into a smaller boat. <laughs> and then just like, we're passing this one on to somebody else. Instead of just being like, ah, fuck this work. Because that seems like it might not be the right message to pass along. Yes and no. I kind of, I, I definitely see your point there. I also disagree with the whole, it's just being kicked into the ocean. Because this was work that sort of work that you didn't have time for to begin with. So you were in the start kicking this into the ocean by telling the client to go find somebody else. Ah, so, yeah. Eh, it's fun. That makes it's sense. Funny. Instead, instead, of, instead of kicking it away, you're kind of passing it on to somebody else. It, it wasn't a serious thing, and I don't think that no. many people would think it, but uh, it just, Actually, I just looked at it and chuckled about it. A lot of people <laughs> tweeted about it and said the same thing, and that actually helped. And um, mm. Swiss Miss, the design blog, yeah. picked it up, and she mentioned it. She actually mentioned Dear IE6, and when she did that, now that I think of it, back when Dear IE6 was launched, she tweeted about it and then posted an actual article about it on her site. And that day I went from having like 150 visitors the previous day to getting a quarter million visits in 11 hours back in 2008 or 2009 or whatever it was. She, which is, was like, she is the Stephen Fry of web stuff. <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting foray into a crap ton of traffic in a hurry. And that was actually where I started working with Zach Kitzmiller more because he helped really prune down Code Igniter so that we could handle that traffic and get caching set up properly so that we weren't losing the new tweets but were able to keep track of the old ones and keep the server from going down. Because I was hosted with him and Jacob Rush with their... Uh, was it Jacob Rush? Yeah. Uh, it was. It, no, it was... It was Oh, yeah, it was that Jacob, and it was cl uh, Cloud Igniter. Cloud Igniter, so, yeah. yeah. And that was how I, now that I think about how I got hooked up with Zach. Wow, hooked up is not the right word to use when you're referring to Zach Kitzmiller. <laughs> There's a lot of rumors going on about <laughs> us. <certainly. laughs> you were the one, was it, was it you that wrote it, uh, that, that drew that image, or did you get one of your designer buddies to do that? But I had his, a... His new backdrop, which is me and him riding a unicorn, cuddling through a starlit <laughs> universe. Like... <laughs> Yeah, so that drawing was done by Evan Yarborough, who's a, a pretty well-known illustrator. His uh, website is evananimal, E-V-A-N-I-M-A-L.com. And uh, yeah, I had him commission that drawing because I thought it perfectly illustrated Phil and Zach's relationship, which I'm very happy to say has further blossomed well beyond the unicorn that I <laughs> Now you just need to add Bieber in there somewhere. It'll be complete. Hey, it was a magical evening. How dare you? I would have at the time, but I think when the drawing was done, Bieber was 12, and that's just weird. He's not 12 still. No, he's like 15, isn't he? Uh, no, he's, he's an actual adult. He's, he's a real person at this point. Phil that's... researched if he was legal or not. That's what happened. <laughs> Something like that. Um, no, uh, when you go to when you go to see a conference, obviously you have to do uh, when you go to see a, a performance, you have to do a lot of background information on that. Oh yeah, of course. I had to I had to work out exactly what uh, what banners were acceptable and legal for me to to wave at the, at the show. <laughs> so wait, you said you didn't even want to go to the show? <laughs> no, the whole point was <laughs> like 
Zach said to me, um, hey, I've, I work for SeatGeek, you know, wonderful ticket company. We'll give them a little heads up. Uh, and he, they basically get a little bit of free money to spend on uh, going to see uh, performances and, and, and just spend on tickets at the company. And he said, does anybody I know want to come and see Justin Bieber? And then like four people replied to him on Twitter saying, you should ask Phil. <laughs> and he's, he replied saying, I just did. We're going. Um, and the, my my line of thinking was, I can either go and sit in a bar with Zach and we can talk shit and, and have to look at each other's ugly, horrible faces, or we can go and talk shit and look at Justin Bieber's ugly, shitty face instead. And it's it's, it's probably a slight improvement. I've seen his face before. I haven't seen Justin Bieber before. It's better than sitting in a you know boring bar. And it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny in the end. My age. I, I totally understand. I'm just sorry. I'm a little confused on this here. Did you get free tickets to a Bieber concert from SeatGeek, or were you guys given free money to use to purchase tickets to any event you wanted on behalf of SeatGeek? SeatGeek did not specifically require us to go and see Justin Bieber. So you had to go see Bieber. Got it. It, <laughs> it was a hundred bucks that we could have used for anything, but Justin Bieber was fifty bucks a pop, and uh, and everything else was more. So um, we could use them to see Nine Inch Nails, which is coming up. That would before. No, that wouldn't have been good at all. Well, you're, you're... October <laughs> October fourteenth is when Nine Inch Nails is around, and we could use them for like a little bit of money off one of them. Uh, but it's just super expensive. So we thought, let's go and see the squeaky little bitch do some do some stuff, and uh, it might be fun. So in the posters that hang above your guys' desks, and the Bieber beer drink, <laughs> and the pencils, and all that other stuff, it's that was ironically ironic. <laughs> and in my defense, that is Zach's office, not mine. <laughs> so then the other one yeah. I have, if you want to segue to that one, yeah, let's um, get back on topic here. Yeah. So the other thing that I'm really struggling with is when I do have client conversations is actually communicating with clients and I've found that even though like Pancake and various other project management systems are really awesome for keeping track of projects, there's nothing really to get you from finding a lead of a new client and to the point where you're actually creating projects in your project management system. And there's that gap where you need, you need to start figuring out exactly what the client needs without sort of assigning tasks and projects yet because you really haven't fleshed out the idea. And up until now, I've been using email for that phase. But the problem is that if you fail to hit reply to all or somebody along the way fails to hit reply to all, then people get excluded or you end up with four or five different message threads. And it's difficult to sort of use. But the other side of that is clients aren't overly savvy. So email is like the lowest barrier to entry for them to start down the communication path. So what I've built is what I think is a very simple solution for solving that problem, and that's everybody knows how to use forums, but installing forum software on your server is really difficult. So I've built a tool that spins up really simple forums that you can use and invite your clients to those, those forum topics and discussions and be able, to, be able to chat about the project and what you want to accomplish without having to actually create a project in some project management system and then create tasks just so you can talk about ideas. Sorry, I'm freezing my back off out here. It is cold. What's the uh, what's the temperature there today? Uh, slightly above zero. It's like uh, I think it's like eight degrees out right now. 
That's it's, eight degrees Celsius for all you normal people. Yeah, um, that's like, I don't know, what is that in Imperial? Oh, right, no one knows. Um, I don't know, it's like in the 40s or 50s maybe? I don't know. It's not very warm. But yeah, so that sounds cool. Yeah. So it's a, it's a way to just really track communications so that there's not a ball drop somewhere in the middle. That, yeah, so that right? if you have to bring somebody on board, so somebody else jumps in on the project, or you're going to bring on Doug from some other department, well, then Doug can just log in and view all the previous messages and reply to the ones that he needs to reply to without having to, one, learn how to use yet another project management system, or two, hey, everybody, forward all of your emails to Doug because he's now on board, so he needs to see where we're at, and that's just not useful. So this allows you to create boards for each of your clients and then invite people to those boards and just have a very simple forum in essence. Gotcha. So which some, I think is the kind of somewhere between a forum and base camp. Is that a, is that a decent I guess that'd be pretty fair. Like yeah. I realize that installing a forum is really awesome. Like a forum you get vanilla or one of the simple forum software and install it on your server, but then you gotta remember multiple logins or you gotta install multiple instances so that you ensure that your clients are always um, segmented from each other and they're in no way able to view another client on your system or just make a really simple forum software in essence, which is what this is. Cool. Yeah, I like it. So has that launched yet or when's it going yeah, to launch? It's, it's launched. If anybody wants to like get in, they just have to send me an email, but it's sodahq.com. Cool, and what is your email address if they do want a beta? Leah.leeguy.com will work. Very cool. It's now, funny. Uh, go ahead. When you're telling people like you have your own domain and everybody always asks, well, why that Lee guy? And then you realize that it's because you have friends like Phil and Zach and Dan and Ben that, you know, you get referenced and go ask that Lee guy or things like that. and. <laughs> It's just humorous, but this doesn't have to make it into the podcast. I just thought it was funny. Nice. So uh, one other thing, while we have everyone here listening intently, is uh, Lee and I are both working on a little fun project together, so you should uh, be seeing something from that in a few weeks. We're going to keep it secretive for now, but uh, be looking out Should for we that. tell them the code name? I think yeah, the code name's Let's funny. tell them the code name. I like the code name. Go ahead. Codename is streetcorner.io. So uh, try to guess what it is from that. And uh, yeah, so just in case anybody's wondering, it does revolve around your ability to make money on the street. And uh, Which Phil is already an expert at, which is we're going to bring in his expertise. It was just that one time in New Orleans, guys. Come on. <laughs> that would all fair as he was trying to get a thousand users before he started charging, so it's not really an accurate representation. <laughs> that would be awful in so many ways. Uh, <laughs> well, I unless anyone's got more Phil jokes, uh, which I, I shouldn't have said because Lee's always got a thousand. Uh, that seems like a pretty good place to end it. We've been running for a while now. Um, it's like an hour and a half of us blathering. That'll probably end it down to about an hour. But uh, Yeah, there's one thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, myself and David Stanley 
if anyone knows him. Um, we're going to be joining as organizers for the PHP uh, user group here in Portland, Oregon. So we're going to be working on actually getting some meetups started back and hopefully pretty regular. We're starting the first one back in October. So if anybody's in the Portland area and is interested, go check us out on Meetup or hit me up on Twitter. And we're trying to just kind of build up the user base again because it's pretty, been pretty dead for a while. Um, so that's in October. Do you, do you have a, a specific date yet? No hard date yet. We actually just kind of worked it out with the old group today so that we got added as organizers. And we've got a couple venues kind of you know, trying to work it out. They already said they would, but now we've got to get the dates and stuff. Okay. Did the old group all decide that, that Python was the best thing ever? <laughs> no, they actually they <laughs> seemed to want to do it, but they just kept not doing anything. And, uh, yeah, sometimes we, the momentum goes, doesn't it? it just yeah, happens. we announced we were going to start up another group just because we got tired of waiting. And they actually contacted yeah. us and they were like, hey, how about we just join up and you guys can help light a fire under our ass, basically. Oh, good. I mean, that needs to be a mod modification to the phrase because the old, I don't know who, who to attribute it to, but the phrase was, if you don't know who your local user group uh, leader is, then it's you. There needs to be a second phrase added on. And if, <laughs> if you do know who they are and they haven't met in like three months, then tell them to fuck off because you're doing it yourself now. Exactly. I think that needs to be the new phrase. Uh, <laughs> maybe without fuck off because that's slightly aggressive. Which, re which <laughs> reminds me, which reminds me, so we'll call that your your thing of the thing of the month or thing of the the episode. Uh, Lee, <laughs> do you have any links to mention that you haven't built? Because I realise you've built roughly one third of the internet. Wow. Um, but do you have a, a thing you like uh, a a book and a web app, a service, any sort of article you'd like to tell the tell the listeners about? Um, not really. More so, just everybody's got their tickets for. True North PHP, right? Oh, yeah. Are you two? Yep, I'll be going to True North. Ben, are you PHP. going? I'm not going to True North. I will be Why? at Ski PHP. Well, good. Though. Yeah, enjoy Utah. Ski PHP with your free skiing pass, <laughs> dick. I put three really good talks into that, and they don't want to hear an Englishman blather about code, so whatever. Enjoy yeah, but, that conference. And if they pay I will for be... you, they have to pay for an adult ticket, Phil. Oh, my. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I'm 25, Lee. Shut up. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you're so mean. Uh, I, was, I think I think he missed that one. Yeah, then. he totally missed that one. That was a short joke, actually, Phil. Oh, I thought he was. <laughs> I thought he was going to be a young joke. Oh uh, yeah, I fucked up there. Also, the other thing, <laughs> the uh, the my, well, my thing that I'm advertising is uh, Ghostery. It's a, uh, a Chrome and and Firefox. I'm not sure what other browsers it supports, but it's a plugin for your browser. Uh, that just kind of, it's a complete tattletale. It just rats on every single uh, third-party call-out that a web page does whenever you go to anything. And um, so if I go to, for example, right now I'm going to go to netflix.com. Um, and what it does, it just go, it, it just screams. And uh, so one, two, three, eight. It's found eight. Advertising.com, AppNexus. Bright Tag, Double Click, Facebook Connect, Facebook Social Plugins, Flash Talk, and Media Mind. So it basically just shouts out every third-party connection that's being made, and then once you click on it, uh, you can you can block or deny or um, always accept on every website for any one of these things. 
So I see advertising.com, I don't want that, I just block it. Um, AppNexus, block it, BrightTag, block it. And you have all these beacons and advertising things. It's just a really good way of keeping yourself a little bit more secure. I know the NSA can see everything you're doing ever anyway, but you don't want to let other random companies see what you're up to as well. So um, try ghostery.com and uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. cool. I think that brings, us, that brings us to the end of stuff. Uh, Lee, I, I will yeah. talk to you soon. Thank you very much for joining us and talking about stuff. And, no uh, problem. Thanks for having me. I yeah, think. No <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> we'll know after post processing when Ben <laughs> Ben gets revenge for all the short jokes. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you very much, guys, and I'll talk to you all soon. All right, Sounds thanks good. everyone. Bye. You hang up first. Thanks, dude. You, no, we you hang up first. No, you hang up first. I punched his one and a half year old baby.